Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. Hard to believe it already. Wednesday, September 14th. My goodness, we've got a lot going on. It feels like fall in the air across much of the Corn Belt. Harvest is getting close. We're going to talk what to expect with these markets. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk will be joining us in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to check in with Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services. That big inflation print yesterday definitely shows that consumers are still grappling with high prices. What does that mean for beef demand as we get through 2022 and on into 2023? And then in segment three, we're going to talk to some officials from Merck. I'm actually down in Amarillo, Texas today, learning about their move into digital technology. We'll bring that story here in segment three. And we're going to close today's show by heading up to Fargo, North Dakota. The Big Iron Show is going on up there. And Jesse Allen, the farm and ranch director with the American Ag Network, is on the scene to see how things look up there in Fargo this year. But we're going to turn to the grain markets here first. Garrett Toy joins us. And Garrett, we've talked a lot about the numbers released from the supply and demand estimates that came out from USDA on Monday. We have not talked much about the changes to the global balance sheets. And we've got a drought in Europe. We've got a drought in China. What do we see change there from the USDA on the international scene? Well, well, well yes, we have a drought in China, but the USDA actually increased Chinese corn production by 3 million metric tons. So, so now they actually see, uh, you know, the 2022-23, the new crop corn uh, Chinese production is now seen bigger than last year's uh, production number. They didn't change the import numbers whatsoever, but they did increase uh, uh, their estimate. Now, this is a complete uh, you know, shot in the dark. I mean, I think they're kind of leaning on some of the Chinese information with the uh, the CASD estimate, which was unchanged this week as well, the Chinese version of the USDA. Um, but uh, they're also looking at their satellite data. And you have to do kind of keep in mind that um, a lot of the areas of the drought in China aren't necessarily corn areas. They're more rice and wheat. But uh, regardless, you think, you know, it, it, it may impact, but the USDA sees otherwise. Um, yes, we have the drought in Europe. They did adjust uh uh, European corn uh, production down another 1.2 million metric ton. They're at 58.8 million metric ton. The private estimates are closer towards 65, so there might be more room to come down there. Uh, however, they left EU corn imports unchanged at 19. So we're a couple million metric tons shy of uh, record EU corn imports. And at this point, you know, with uh, wheat being a discount there, uh, they're, they're, the USDA is saying that you know their imports are going to be 19. They're going to feed more wheat. And that's how they're going to solve this this puzzle. Uh, at the same time, uh, USDA has been really, really keen, uh, given this grain export corridor uh, and the success of this so far, to adjust uh, Ukraine not only the new Ukrainian corn production higher, but also Ukrainian corn exports. And they they raised corn exports, new crop corn exports, by a half million metric ton to 13. They raised old crop by 1.5 to 26. Uh, but still. Saying that, new crop corn exports out of Ukraine are going to be half of what they were last year. Um, so, I mean, it's still, I mean, obviously it's going to be impacting there. So that's why a lot of the trade is, is obviously watching, you know, these Russian comments about the grain export corridor. It, it's got another 30 days or so. It automatically renews. But if, it, you know, if Putin is, is, is raising a question as to where this grain is going to, He's not really happy that it's going to the EU. He would like to see it go towards more, you know, poverty countries that are more friendly to Russia. You see the, the game that's being played here, and uh, and so if if this Ukraine if this grain export corridor deal fails, uh, it, it, it'll it'll be because Putin says it's over. Um, but you know, of course, you know, uh, is he going to? burden the weight of being the one who cancels it in the in the world's eyes as far as the, the negative uh connotations or the negative publicity that that brings yeah, that would be so some bad that, pr that, right there that was some but at the same at the same time you know he's 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 shutting off europe to gas prices so i mean you know you know he's he's letting them freeze but he's 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 uh 
he's allowing them to have the grain ex- the grain exports. But uh, the, uh, moving on the wheat, there really weren't many changes. They increased the Russian wheat production by three, Ukraine by one, but there was no changes to uh, to exports whatsoever. And then, then uh, uh, on the bean side, obviously the most important thing. Uh, was that one million metric ton cut in Chinese bean imports? These, these Chinese imports are uh, seen at 97 million metric ton versus 90 last year. They continue to struggle. We're expecting a rebound this year, but they continue to struggle with poor hog margins, uh, the uh, the continued COVID policies, and uh, just a general struggling economy at this point. Yeah, and uh, Garrett, it sounds like exports are going to be back in the news tomorrow. My understanding is we're still expecting to get four weeks worth of USDA export data in the morning on Thursday. How's the trade going to react to that, or what should we anticipate? It can create it can create a pop, and we've had these situations before 2013 during the government shutdown where we get a big you know, data dump. But I think the big thing is, is we do, you know, with this week's uh, WASD, we do have some new export sales uh, estimates or export commitment projections. Um, and it basically gives the market an ability to uh, mark to the market. Now, there's over that month's time, uh, we kind of have a tale of two stories here where, um, you know, earlier in the earlier in the period, we kind of had China sniffing around and, and buying some corn and that sort of thing. Uh, they were definitely buying beans. And then in the ha- in the middle of the period, uh, we had the change in the Argentine uh, the Argentine uh, peso or the Argentine currency, and we had a sharp plunge in South American uh, soybean values. So I think there's no going to there's not going to be any way to differentiate. This is all going to be coming in the big pile of data. But, uh, you know, it, it, it may not be a, a, a big number in comparison because the early exports should be really good, but maybe the last two weeks of exports haven't been that great because, you know, U.S. export prices are relatively expensive. Um, but I, the market, it may provide a pop in this market that's it's kind of feeling a little bit top-heavy in here uh, as it's, it's facing this heavy headwind uh, of macro pressures after yesterday's CPI print. Well, and um, Garrett... You know, the, it, I was going to ask you, those macro pressures, I mean, it looks like they're going to continue. The dollar has been elevated for some time. Today, we're down under 110, but we've got another Fed meeting coming next week. If the Fed announces a hike of 75 basis points, is that already priced into the dollar value here? It is, but the market chatter yesterday was starting to price in a full point because, um, you know, I think the market kind of got caught flat-footed on this. I mean, everyone coming out of last month's CPI print, uh, you, you looked at everyone thought inflation had peaked, you know, and that was the, the mantra. And they were expecting a lower number again this month, and it didn't show up. So uh, I, I read a statistic yesterday. I can't remember who I can accredit it to, but they someone had said that the, uh, 70% of the components of the CPI basket are still increasing at a 4% rate or better. Um, and that's, you know, even though gas prices are down month to month, I mean, there's there's, there's more than just gas prices that take up CPI. So, uh, you know, that it just the, the Fed has been extremely hawkish on this, and uh, it just means the rates are, are going to increase until we really, you know, are, the only thing that solves inflation is a recession, and, you know, and so this is the dance that we're kind of playing here at this point. Indeed it is. Garrett, you're right. Ag Trader Talk, how can our listeners keep up with that? Sure, they can reach out. If they'd like a free trial, uh, take, take a look at www.agtradertalk.com. Fantastic, folks. That's Garrett Toy. Stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. This week, Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board joined us, and we talked about how DDGs have become commonplace in the pork industry. You know, the renewable fuel standard came on board in 2007. Um, suddenly, corn was used for other things that it hadn't traditionally been used for, at least in, in uh, not in such great quantity. As a product of that, uh, distiller's grains became available to us uh, as a feedstuff. Um, I would no longer classify uh, dis- dried distiller's grains as solubles, DDGS, 
as a, a non-traditional feedstuff for pig, uh, for pigs. We commonly use it as part of our swine diet today. That was Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board reflecting on the partnership between pork and corn. We'll be back Wednesday, October 5th with the next edition of the Monthly Grind. Hi, this is Jeff Schmidt. I'm your Chief Agri-District Manager for Eastern Nebraska. I will be at Husker Harvest Days on Lot 430 on September 13th through the 15th. We'll be talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions that are designed to fit your operational needs. If you have any questions, give me a call, 308-440-8768, or check out our library of products at agra.chiefind.com. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is Poison Help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison Help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save Poison Help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you what, the show continues today, and it's time to talk about the cattle market. Yesterday, we saw a big down day in the live cattle trade. We also saw a big down day in the equity markets, and we saw the news that inflation remain stickier than expected. Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services keeps track of all of these factors, and he joins us today. Dennis, what do you think when you look out at the cattle market here in 2022? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Well, I think uh, the smart money was my buyer yesterday in the live cattle futures market on that pullback. We'll see uh, how that pans out as the uh, trading day uh, and how we proceed for the rest of the week. The cattle fundamentals, Mike, if they are allowed to trade the beef fundamentals and we don't get all tied up in the stock market situation, they are outright bullish and and getting more bullish as we move forward. Uh, The feedlots are becoming very current. The grading indications that came out Monday continue to show a new low in the choice to plus prime grading. We believe the feedlots are really becoming current, and at some point in time, uh, the whole situation will, so to speak, get away from the packer. Dennis, when you think about feedlots being current, one way we measure that, of course, are weights at slaughter. Are those weights dropping? Is that one of the factors you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, we are. We do not have heavyweight cattle, so we've got weights running low below a year ago. Uh, but but the grading seems to be the the real trigger here. Uh, it was a it was a good summer for feeding cattle, uh, and, and so the, the the weight gains were actually very good. But uh, with the current status developing, uh, the show list is smaller this week. Uh, the uh, the margins, the processing margins, remain uh, very profitable, and uh, the slaughter is going to be a huge this week. Last week's slaughter over Labor Day was the largest Labor Day slaughter. Uh, going back to 2007, 
So, so we're seeing just a real aggressive slaughter pace, and of course, that's the key for for currentness in the cattle marketing. Dennis, thinking about cash cattle trade this week, if we've got a smaller show list, but we also have a big down day like we saw yesterday and the, the disappointing stock market news, which way do you think cash trade's going to move this week? Well, we initially thought it would be higher, and then yesterday's uh, volatility started in the stock market. So it's possible it'll be a steady cash steer trade. Uh, the, the futures market, again, has the ability to, to forward uh, look ahead, anticipate. So uh, I, I'll call it steady for this week because of the big bump that we're seeing in the stock market volatility. But uh, again, we we believe it's only a matter of time and probably sooner rather than later before you start seeing this cash steer market really find traction and start moving higher. Okay. Now that is good to hear because we haven't yet talked about some of the headwinds that you've mentioned, Dennis. We do have that inflation issue. We do have the volatility in the stock market. And of course, we do have just the the changing direction of managed money here around the world. Of those macro factors, how do you think they're going to impact the cattle market here over the next week? Well, uh, we'll see. Uh, It's difficult to know. We're, We're moving through the Goldman rule. We are seeing what I call a, a normal situation developing an open interest in cattle. We're starting to see open interest increase. We're seeing the funds begin to build a long position. The commercials are short. Commercials are always short. But the small trader is the biggest net short uh, as far as speculative short in the cattle market. The small trader is going to get run over, in my opinion. And again, that's somewhat normal as well. Yeah. We're just seeing uh, various factors where the uh, the market is abound to, to really catch here. Uh, with unemployment as low as it is, basically just slightly above a 50-year low, we're, we're officially technically in a recession right now. But with unemployment as low as it is, Everybody's working that wants to work. I just don't see how this is going to be a big negative for for red meat demand. All right, Dennis. Well, let's talk timing here. We have been talking, you and I, for the past two years about the potential bullish scenario that we're setting up here in the cattle market. And it's come. It's been in fits and starts, and it's been slow. What are some of the price targets you're watching for as we get into the fourth quarter 22 and first, second quarter 23? Well, I don't have a specific price targets in mind other than sharply higher. This market could really uh, peel off some some rapid gains and uh, and really be, be a startling type market. You could be in the upper 160s as far as the cash market by the time the April live cattle board go, goes off. So April futures, you know, they're they're well below 160 right now. You could actually be approaching 170 by the end of the first quarter in 2023 if we don't have a major meltdown uh, in the financial uh, collapse type of situation. Boy, 170 in the April, that sounds so high, and yet that's only $12 away from where we're trading now, Dennis. It certainly seems like that could be a possibility Thinking out to next year as well, uh, we got the WASDE report here on Monday from USDA. Of course, we've talked a lot about the updates to the grain markets that comes in that report, but they also take a look at the livestock markets, and they had a note in there, Dennis, that I was curious about. They expect beef production to be up 70 million pounds in 2023, and I'd like your thoughts on that. Given the herd liquidation that we've seen, is, is that feasible? Well, they, they, I, I think you're, you're referring to a revision from 30 days ago, I believe. Uh, but what we are looking at, however, Mike, is a, a total production. Yeah, you're looking at a 70 million pound increase in production for next year. I think they're factoring that, or the note uh, was they were expecting a little bit larger placements here in the uh, third quarter of this year. To, to contribute to a little bit larger production early next year. Uh, but these placements are going to run their course. For example, the uh, Oklahoma City auction yesterday reported uh, about 42% of the animals were over 600 pounder calves. A year ago, 
the 600 pound category represented 66% of the animals. So we are literally running out of heavyweight calves to place. And of course, when you place a lot of lightweight calves, they get spread out. And typically the rule of thumb, light in, light out. So at some point, uh, production will come down. Overall production, Mike, next year is forecast to be down 6% from production this year. Okay, and that certainly makes sense. Given the, the culls that we've seen across the southern plains, I, I had to expect production to come down. I'm glad you got me clarified on that. Dennis, while we've got you, I do want to get your thoughts on the hog market because it was kind of the mirror image to the cattle market yesterday, up, uh, well, almost $3. What happened in lean hogs on uh, Tuesday? You know, I'm not sure, Mike. It's, uh, I can guess. I can throw out uh, darts. Uh, but we'll see. I'm hearing that the loin market's getting cleaned up, pork loins. I'm hearing that fresh bellies are stabilizing after being very unsettled, you know, on the back end of BLT season. Uh, and the ham market, I think, is really solid. Uh, Mexico continues to, to come after the ham market despite the strength in the U.S. dollar. Uh, Mexico is after the U.S. ham market. Uh, production may be coming in a little bit less this week than expected. Uh, the weekly kill is probably going to be down 4 to 5% from, from the same week a year ago. And I think that's a little bit of a surprise. Uh, and there's always the possibility that China snuck into our pork market while the USDA was unable to provide weekly export figures. Possibly that's a rumor surfacing among the trade. All right, and we'll see if there's any truth to that rumor. Dennis, they're still saying Thursday morning export uh, reports will be back. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, there will be a, a, what they call a dump where we will get three weeks' worth of uh, information, data, on the grain market as well as the uh, the meat market. And it's going to be interesting to, to sort through the details. It certainly will. Well, Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services, we always appreciate your insight and your in, uh, your your ability to bring us some clarity on these cattle markets. Thanks for joining us today. You're quite welcome. Thank you for having me. And it certainly sounds like issues in the broader economy are going to continue to have an impact on the commodity markets. Next week, of course, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee is meeting. They will be announcing a rate hike for September. Fed officials so far have said it's going to be a 75 basis point hike. But after yesterday's inflation data came in hotter than expected, several traders on Wall Street are wondering if we might see a full one percentage point rate increase. We'll see what the data supports. That'll be next Thursday when the Fed makes that announcement. Stick around for more AOA. We're going to continue our livestock discussion and talk with several officials from Merck about their move into digital technology. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. As traders digest this morning's producer price index, following yesterday's surprising consumer price index data, traders are digesting this morning's producer price index data. A similar pattern was seen in the morning data, with the market response has been much different so far, with traders largely believing that yesterday's big sell-off is already priced in the market. The dollar index is trading high, but a bit softer than yesterday's surge in value while the grain and oilseed markets are mostly lower in early trade.
One of the other things that we are keeping our eye on and that could be disrupting markets here soon is the possible nationwide rail strike that may occur starting Friday morning. The railroads have largely already stopped accepting products that they would not want stranded on rail lines, such as those considered hazardous in nature. Some railroads will also halt accepting grain shipments on Thursday in anticipation of the strike. The strike, if it does occur, is expected to dramatically slow supply chains while increasing upward inflation pressures. Now, it is largely believed that the strike will occur unless Congress steps in to prevent it. Some sources in Washington tell us that legislation has been prepared to do just that, which legislators believe that President Biden would sign. However, neither the leadership in the House nor Senate has so far been willing to entertain discussion or a vote on the legislation. Now, most people expect that the pain caused by the strike will be so great as to prevent it from a lasting one, but the possibility exists for something longer that would disrupt movement of grain and fertilizer, ethanol, soy oil, soy meal, crude oil, and others. And while the United States is preparing a sanction package against China that is a bit more aggressive than the one they put together for Russia, Chinese feed production is rising, suggesting a resurgence in demand for meat and profitability for producers of protein. And cash traders say that Chinese buyers took advantage of Argentina's pesos for soybeans program by purchasing at least 20 cargos for September and October shipment. That will reduce their need for U.S. soybeans this fall. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, here to Wednesday's edition of Agriculture of America. We're continuing to see the economy digest the results of Monday's inflation report. As you can recall, the U.S. Uh, CPI data was released on Monday. It showed inflation for the month of August was up 8.3%. That was higher than analysts had anticipated. And importantly, it triggers a hike in the minimum wage across seven states here in the U.S. That's Washington, Montana, South Dakota, Arizona, Ohio, Vermont, and Maine. All those states have minimum wages that are tied to the rate of inflation. So as that jumps up, those wages move up. And that's not the only bad news on labor. We also had a paper out earlier this week from the National Bureau of Economic Research, and they looked at the impact of that coronavirus on the working age population. And they estimate that COVID caused about 500,000 people to permanently exit the labor force through illness, through trepidation about working again, uh, additions to the disability roles. They believe we're about a half a million workers short across the economy in the U.S. And this is being felt, I think, in every economic sector right now. We're seeing tightness nearly everywhere, but it's certainly being felt in, in agriculture. And in agriculture, not only do we need labor, we need labor that's skilled and talented and can, uh, can spot illnesses, particularly in the livestock space. Last night, I had the opportunity to attend an event from Merck Animal Health, and they were talking about their push into the digital technology realm and how it works with biopharmaceuticals. And afterwards, I had a chance to talk with Paul Kaufman. He's the executive director and the North American lead for the AllFlex Livestock Intelligence Division. And I asked him why Merck was making this push into digital technology. A little over three years ago, we acquired a, a company called Antelic, which really got us into identification, but it also got us into things like 
livestock intelligence, where we look at applying wearable technology in the dairy space, in the feedlot space. That linkage with Merck is really, as we think about it, at the end of the day, we're an animal health company, and the key part of that is health. So how do we apply technology to identify animals earlier when they're getting sick, apply that appropriate biopharmaceutical intervention, and really do that in such a way that we have a better outcome, and really provide what our customers are looking for, which is that healthy animal, and do it in such a way, frankly, with our identification to also have that whole tri transparency piece that goes along with it too. That transparency, that traceability, that verification has become so important in recent conversations about the future of the beef industry. Is the technology there to accurately capture this data out in the countryside? We would say yes. It's certainly continuing to evolve. If you look at what RFID technology uh, that, that we have out there right now, certainly those using those RFID tags and mobile readers and really emerging technologies, being able to get that up into a cloud so we can have that in a cloud-based environment, have those records of what that, that farmer, what that cattle producer has done, knowing where that animal was at that moment in time. So yes, absolutely, the technology is there and continuing to evolve. Where do you see this going from here? You mentioned this has been a three-year process with Merck after that acquisition. It's still very new, Paul. Talk to me long-term. What does this look like 10 years from now? My opinion is 10 years from now, we'll really be talking about outcomes, right? Instead of uh, what, what I've known in, in my lifetime, in my career, we really started out with see a sick animal, treat a sick animal. We do a lot of work with great vaccines. I see us getting to a point where we're talking about that healthy outcome. So we're identifying animals earlier. I think we get to a point where we're starting to look and start starting to predict what the likelihood of that happening and maybe doing different management practices, different interventions, and doing that in such a way to really answer the questions that the consumers are asking about that high quality beef, where that's coming from, tell me more about my food, and really tell that great story of what our cattle producers do every day in the United States. I also had the chance to talk with Dr. Jason Nickel. He's the Director of Insights and Outcomes there at Merck Animal Health about a specific piece of technology they've developed in this realm, which they call SenseHub Feedlot. SenseHub Feedlot is just one of multiple technologies that uh, is a reflection of, of Merck's uh, incorporation of technology into its uh, repertoire of animal health products. Uh, it is designed to improve the overall accuracy of disease detection in the feed yard while at the same time supporting the labor challenges that we face in that industry as well. And so when we're talking about SenseHub, we're not talking about a pill or an injectable or a pour-on. We're talking about a piece of technology, specifically a wearable ear tag and a receiver. What type of data are you capturing with SenseHub? Yeah, that's exactly right. So this, this technology is designed to monitor these animals 24-7. And so the data that we utilize with this specific system is reflection of both body temperature and activity captured simultaneously. Uh, ultimately, it is being that, that data is being evaluated by an artificial intelligence algorithm that is ultimately identifying outliers in the population. Once an outlier has been identified, a, the producer receives an email uh, every morning with that animal's number and the pin that it's located in. Once that animal has been identified, that animal's respective tag is illuminated and blinks to help them not only they know where the animal is, now they just that allows them to find that animal a little easier. Jason, I'm sure we've got some cattle feeders right now listening who say, you know what, I have some pen riders that have been with me 25 years. I trust their eyes. They know what to look for out there in the pens. There's no way a machine can do that. Talk to me about that. How do you get over that type of hesitation here in this industry? It, that, that's definitely a challenge. But where the, the, the potential discussion starts is that this is not, this was never designed as a replacement. We still need people. And the reality is, is whether or not we want to admit it or not, these animals are much more adept at concealing disease than even that seasoned pen rider is at finding it, okay? We can find the most seasoned pen rider, the most experienced pen rider, and he or she, they're gonna, they're gonna miss animals, they're gonna be animals that go undiagnosed, and even if that animal goes undiagnosed and doesn't die, the cost of that animal is gonna be seen in hot carcass weight at the end, okay? And you think first and foremost, when, when calves are showing up on a lot about BRD, obviously that is the, the big issue. Is that something that SenseHub was specifically designed to target, or is that just something that it catches predominantly? 
Yeah, just from the standpoint of overall disease prevalence, uh, most of the time it is going to be BRD that the system is capturing. Uh, but to your point, it is non it is non um, selective, and so it is not looking specifically for bovine respiratory disease, but rather it's looking for outliers in the population. Um, and so if in that in that respect, it will capture a, a lot of non-BRD syndromes as well, the lamenesses, the bloats, the, the neurological diseases, the potentially the, the calving heifers out there. So, you know, it, it is looking for anything that is different uh, that then, you know, is identified. But it does bring up a good point. Once that animal is brought to the chute, it, you do need to have someone there to then put their hands on that animal and confirm what's actually going on. This, this idea, the ability to constantly track animals, monitor their health, and respond to them when it's needed, we've been talking about that in the animal health industry for a long, long time. And now it's here. This system, you've had SenseHub out there in feedlots all summer. Dr. Nickel, talk to me about how this first summer has gone. What have you learned and what have the results showed? Yeah, no, this, uh, you know, from what, at the, at the beginning um, of the day, there is no, there's not been a lack of interest. And I would go so far as to say that interest has not been driven necessarily by the desire to improve disease uh, detection, but rather just from the labor savings standpoint. So actually just having enough labor to, to get through the day, right? And so we have observed, you know, those observations almost to a person have been the, the labor savings component. Uh, what we, though, have seen from a health standpoint is that a lot of the observations, many of the observations that are being observed in the feed yard reflect the data that have, that have come out of our clinical studies, specifically reduction in mortality and, and uh, chronic disease. Uh, but we are, you know, beginning to, um, you know, hear discussions that, you know, they, they think that their, uh, that their efficiencies, the feed efficiencies are improved, or they think that just in general they can, you know, accomplish more in a given day just because they, they are, you know, have can more efficiently allocate labor differently than they did before. And so, you know, they are, just like we, they are learning how to apply this and, and fit it into their production systems. Everybody's system's a little bit different, right? And so as they learn, we learn. And uh, so it, it's definitely been a summer of, of learning and, and confirming some biases, but pushing back on some as well. And it's been a summer of learning. Commercial rollout is still ongoing. Jason, are you prepared to meet demands from from nearly any feedlot across the country? We are. We are prepared to do that. Uh, we are, uh, you know, as as in, important as it is to make sure that we have a system up and going, a system that's working. What we have found is that it is just as imperative, or is not only, or maybe more important, is to have a strong support system post installation. And so what we have found is that unlike perhaps the, the traditional biopharmaceutical uh, environment where, you know, that, that, that sale is made, the, the product is used, and you may or may not see that individual for, you know, a few weeks till a few weeks down the road, the support of this last is, 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 goes on indefinitely. And so, as you can imagine, there is training involved. There's a, ultimately, at the end of the day, there's a lot of hand-holding that has to take place for this to be successful. You know, we are taking it, uh, uh, you know, a little bit conservatively and, and probably overdoing some things on the support side just to make sure we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's. Um, we know, you know, we would uh, be the, the last to say that we know it all. We know that we are, we are learning every day and in, in, in every place that we go into, we learn something a little bit, uh, a, a nuance that we hadn't seen at the last, at the last place. And so again, we're learning, uh, with those systems, but at the same time, we feel like we're providing a lot of value in, in parallel. Well, that was Dr. Jason Nickel, their Director, Insights and Outcomes at Merck Animal Health. It is really cool to see this kind of technology out there on the ground in feedlots. It's hard to believe it's not just science fiction any longer. Well, folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to check in with Jesse Allen, who's up in Fargo, North Dakota at the Big Iron Farm Show. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? 
they've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. This week, Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board joined us, and we talked about how DDGs have become commonplace in the pork industry. You know, the renewable fuel standard came on board in 2007. Um, suddenly, corn was used for other things that it hadn't traditionally been used for, at least in, in uh, not in such great quantity. As a product of that, uh, distiller's grains became available to us uh, as a feedstuff. Um, I would no longer classify uh, dis dried distiller's grains or solubles, DDGS, as a, a non-traditional feedstuff for pig, uh, for pigs. We commonly use it as part of our swine diet today. That was Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board reflecting on the partnership between pork and corn. We'll be back Wednesday, October 5th with the next edition of the Monthly Grind. Corn is native to the American continent and so was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We're continuing here on this Wednesday, and we're talking around the country what's going on in agriculture. And Farm and Ranch Director for the American Ag Network, Jesse Allen, is up in Fargo, North Dakota for, well, these three days, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's up at the Big Iron Farm Show. Jesse, how are the crowds looking up there at Big Iron? Hey, Mike, appreciate you having me on today. Crowds are looking very good uh, here for the show. Really uh, gorgeous weather, to be uh, honest about it. Uh, I know a little bit of smoke maybe floating in from parts of those uh, wildfires out west here across the northern plains, but temperatures uh, right in the low 70s, sunny skies with just a little bit of that haze. And, you know, overall, things are looking good here. Crowds have been strong day one, day two looking good already as well. A lot of folks just uh, walk around having conversations like they have been at many farm shows across the country here the last uh, couple of weeks, Mike, uh, just talking about new equipment, looking at new technology, and, of course, the conversations surrounding the markets, weather, etc. So a lot of things to take in, but so far things are looking fairly good here at Big Iron uh, here this year, Mike. Well, that's good to hear, Jesse. What are you hearing from attendees on the state of the crop up there in the northern plains? Of course, the Dakotas saw delayed planting a lot of moisture this spring, and then it got hot. How do things look in the fields right now? You know, a lot of what I have heard uh, don't need any more rain. Rain's not going to help, but uh, at this point, they are hoping that uh, and get some dry weather up here to dry down the uh, crops in the field, and they're also hoping for a late frost. That's going to be a big issue for some of the later planted crops up here across the northern plains, uh, corn, soybean-wise. They're going to be really hoping for a late frost. Eric Snodgrass, a nutrient, was up here on Tuesday as well. I talked to him. That was a lot of the same things he's been hearing. And he mentioned that overall weather is looking fairly good here as we head into harvest time across the country and across the northern plains. He emphasized that. So hoping, uh, again, for relatively uh, relatively mild weather here at moving forward the next couple of weeks. and and really getting things uh, going here as we get into the month of October. Spring wheat harvest is looking good. We are a little bit behind schedule in parts of the Northern Plains, North Dakota, and into Northwest Minnesota. Uh, but overall, spring wheat harvest looking good. Spring wheat crop is looking good. And, and I'd say a lot of farmers very happy and optimistic that uh, for the most part, things look fairly good here across the Northern Plains, Mike. And I think they're going to be happy as long as the weather continues to hold up. Again, historically... Frost uh, is something that they're going to be battling with here in the month of October. So hoping uh, that holds off a little while longer here this year. And Jesse, of course, you get up there into North Dakota, you get into that Red River Valley, you enter an area where lots and lots of crops can be grown. Of course, you mentioned spring wheat, sugar beets are another one that is currently growing up there. Have you had a chance to talk with any beet growers while you've been at Big Iron and how's that crop shaping up? Haven't had a chance to talk with a lot of beet growers yet. Uh, been running around the show, but I will say the few things that I have heard from growers, uh, the beet crop looking good as well. Uh, overall, things are things are fairly strong. There are some issues uh, with the various crops, uh, give or take, a few different pockets. But uh, the general thought that I've heard is that things look good, but I, I can't say that I've heard a ton on the uh, spring uh, on the sugar beet crop, I should say, here in the last uh, couple of days at Big Iron. But I will uh, I will do my best to find out more info uh, here and maybe share that with you down the road. How's that sound, Mike? Well, that sounds fair, Jesse. And if you get a chance to get that info, of course, you can share it with me or on Market Talk, the show you host every day. You mentioned the markets are top of mind for growers this year. Talk to me about what the conversation has been like that you've been having with analysts uh, there on Market Talk. You know, we had that big surprise with the WASD numbers on Monday, soybeans. Uh, you know, I threw this out on Monday's show. I said I eventually thought that we would get down to like a 50 and a half yield I didn't think that number would come in the September report. And I think a lot of folks in the trade didn't expect that move as well. We saw cuts to crush on the soybean side, uh, production cuts overall, harvested acres coming down for quarter beans. So a lot of surprises on the Monday report. We saw you know a good swing to the upside led by that soy complex. And then you come in Tuesday, CPI numbers out, 
that felt like kind of a wet blanket over the whole trade overall, the ag trade, energies, et cetera. And, and that's just a reminder that inflation is top of mind in these markets and top of mind here with growers. I, you know, a lot of folks are worried about the cost of inputs for next year. They're worried about how things are going to be, you know, with prices going into next year. Uh, coming up on Market Talk uh, on Wednesday here, we're going to talk with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. He's going to be on location here at Big Iron. So we're going to sit down and have our uh, typical Wednesday conversation with him in person and get his thoughts on all of this new uh, this CPI data. I know the PPI data out Wednesday morning as well. Uh, and also just everything swirling around the markets. Really, Mike's take on that. Uh, also, I uh, hope to catch up with Christy Vanon Cheeseth with Van On and Company. She will be here as well this week. Now we're going to talk to her. I know Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing is here this week. We're going to try and catch up with him. So a lot of folks, a lot of great minds uh, when it comes to the markets. So we're going to do our best to talk with them here throughout the week at Big Iron and bring that info to folks uh, during Market Talk. That's great, Jesse. And tell our listeners, how can they tune in to Market Talk? They can find information, markettalkag.com, to find a list of our uh, great affiliates that we have on the radio across the country, as well as uh, they can link up to the podcast version of the show. They can find that on all their favorite podcast sources, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, etc. And they can also watch uh, the uh, daily YouTube video version of the show as well. We uh, try to do that every day, a little bit shorter, condensed version of market analysis. And, and again, all the links uh, are found easily, markettalkag.com uh, is going to be the best way to do that. Jesse, before we let you go, you mentioned the challenges we've seen with input costs and the supply chain disruptions. Have you had a chance to talk to any exhibitors who are concerned about having supply next year? Or do most folks feel like they've got it well in hand for the 23 growing season? It feels like most folks have it well in hand. But as we watch things like this potential uh, rail strike that could happen, and what would that do to supply chains? I think there's still some cautious optimism uh, around uh, exhibitors here on the grounds of Big Iron as we move forward here folks are going to have most of what they need maybe not everything but most of what they need but we'll see how that goes as we move forward fantastic folks we've been talking to jesse allen farm and ranch director at the american ag network host of market talk jesse thanks for joining us today mike always a pleasure tune in tomorrow to aoa we'll be talking with mr arlen suderman chief commodities economist at stone x we'll see you then Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. Hi, I'm Brent Whitefoot, your Chief Agri-District Manager for Western Nebraska. I'll be at Husker Harvest Days, Lot 430, on September 13th through the 15th, talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions designed to fit your operational needs. Our grain storage, handling, and conditioning products are designed to last and help you save time and money every step of the way. Have questions? Give me a call at 308-440-4737 or check us out at agra.chiefind.com.